following audio is from Covenant Life Fellowship. For more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. Okay, so today we've lit our, our second purple candle. Uh, we're going to focus today on peace. And isn't peace just something that we all long for? Um, and yet we do not have any ability to define it. All of us think of it differently. Some people think that peace comes in, in quiet solitude. Yet I don't know about y'all, but I know what happens in my heart when I'm alone and there's nothing around me. It feels like chaos reigns in my brain. And there's just things going on all the time. Quiet solitude seems for some to reveal our lack of peace. Some think that peace is um, when everybody else is reloading. It's a moment in a war that suddenly stops. People are loading their gun, reloading their guns. It's peaceful. And the shooting begins again. Or in a marital disagreement. When it's peaceful for a moment, but you and your spouse are thinking about the next sarcastic comment you're going to make at one another. It's quiet. Verbal jabs have stopped. But in reality, what we're doing is we're just either reloading the bullets in the gun or reloading the sarcasm in our toolbox so we can unload it upon somebody. That type of peace means there's another conflict around the corner, doesn't it? Some think that peace comes from Achieving a certain status or a place in life. I was listening to a podcast on my drive home from Ben yesterday, and uh, the, the guy who's a very wealthy man made an interesting comment to me that kind of laid into this. He just said, you know, I don't know about y'all. He says, but I got, when I got to the place where I could pay all my bills, I was no longer in chaos. And yet, I listen to this guy regularly, and I know how much chaos he's in. And some think that if we can just get to a certain status, you know, get our, get our debt paid off, get to a certain status in life, get a position at work that people will look at, we got enough money in our bank account, then we will finally achieve peace. And if you're a parent with small kids, listen man, or you come home from a long day, a long week at work, you, or a long day at work, you know this moment, you just want some peace and quiet. But in reality, what happens is you come home and you're just preparing for another round of challenges. Remember when our kids were little and they would attack me at the door and Jill had this thing she called the five o'clock hour, meaning that when I got home, the kids knew, hey, leave dad alone for five minutes, let him change his clothes, kind of debrief from all the stuff that's going on in the day, and then you can dogpile him, right? That's kind of, it's on, right? And I'd go in my room that moment, five minutes, and just kind of like, changing my clothes, and I, as my heart, I'm just preparing for this, okay, what's coming next? And of course, when I walk in the room and I got five kids, then I'm getting the updates of, okay, today this one did this, and this one did this, and this one did this, and this, and you're like, okay, you just want a moment of peace and quiet. And the far off fantasy land of peace just seems like to many of us just a distant paradise that we can just never get to. It's like a ship never arrives in that harbor. The plane never lands. And our challenge with defining peace and then thus finding lasting peace is because we really never get to the root issue of why we have no peace. When I got to the root issue of why when I went home, I felt chaos and I began to deal with the root issue, then I could have peace even in the midst of all the chaos. And we never get to the root issue, and therefore we never find a lasting solution. What can really be the place we continue to go to every moment of every day when this chaos seems to rise? But what if I told you something? What if I told you that in all your anxieties that are consuming you, and your fears about the future that just seems to reach up and grab you, the worries about the economy and the conflicts that you see in your world today, what if I told you there's a way for us to have lasting peace? And what if I told you that peace is not a state of mind, nor is it a pause in a conflict, 
But peace, lasting peace, is found in a person. According to the Bible, which I hope we'll see today, that person is Jesus. And so here's what I, what I hope is going to happen today, right? Not what we're going to learn yet, but what I hope is going to happen today. That when you go home tonight, that you can rest peacefully in, these, in the arms of God because you're at peace with God. That's what I hope for every one of you who are listening this morning, that are hearing this, that you can have peace with God and you can rest peacefully in the arms of God because you know you are at peace with God. Now here's what we're going to hopefully learn today. This is the big idea. It's very simple. Jesus Christ brings peace with God and makes, listen, the peace of God possible. So he he brings us peace with God and he makes the peace of God, this, this thing that's going on in the Trinity, possible right now, today, for you. And actually for our world. So we're going to read three passages of Scripture this morning. Short ones, so don't panic, okay? Um, and we're going to stand together and read them. Isaiah 9, Romans 5, and Philippians 4. Isaiah 9, Romans 5, Philippians 4. Let's stand together. <clears throat> and we're going to read the text that, that Dan led us through this morning. Uh, part of it anyway. Romans 9, or excuse me, Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall rest upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's go to Romans chapter 5 and just look with me at verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now go to Philippians 4 and read with me verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord <clears throat> is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. In Christ Jesus. Father, this morning, would you bring peace to your people? Would you help people who are not your people become your people and be at peace with you? And when you empower us then to go into this world of chaos with the message of peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> All right, so as we're going to begin this morning, we're going to do something really funny. We just read the, these certain texts, and we're not even going to start there, okay? So we're going to start in a different place, because I want us to understand, from the beginning of time, why are we so chaotic? Why do we lack peace, and why do we need peace? That's our first point, which is <clears throat> the need for peace. So we're going to start in the beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, which is perhaps the darkest and most chaotic chapter in the Bible. In chapter 3, verse 6, we read about our first mom, Eve, being deceived by Satan, who's our arch enemy, and she ate the forbidden fruit, and then she turned and gave it to our first dad, Adam, who was with her, and Adam ate. Now, without doing all the stuff about Adam's failure and all the different things here, let's just understand that in this moment, when Adam ate this forbidden fruit, 
something happened that had never transpired before in the human race. Humans rebelled against God and in that moment trusted in their own wisdom and their own rules rather than God's. It's fascinating right now if you would look behind a little bit of the pursuit of technology in our world today. What is behind that is the desire to be like God. To live forever. To have wisdom that's beyond measure. So different than what was going on in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve wanted to be like God. They were deceived and they ate this fruit. And in that moment, that rebellion happened. And mankind in this moment was introduced to something odd. They were introduced to a conflict with God. Now you and I live every day of our lives in conflict with God. We're, we're so used to it. That's how, we, that's how we're born. But Adam and Eve had not experienced this. Before sin, they walked in the Garden of Eden peacefully with God. There's no separation in their relationship with God. But after this sin happened, there's a breach in that relationship. There's a conflict. Humans now, after Adam and Eve sin, are at war with God. And here's the crazy thing. We know it. And right at the beginning of this story in the Garden of Eden, we understand and see the root cause of our need for peace. The main reason we have no peace in our lives is because we are in conflict with God and we know it. That's the main reason. Right off the bat, in the beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, we're introduced to the fact that the biggest issue we face... It's not the color of your hair or the color of your eyes or the degree that you have or the job that you have. The biggest issue that you and I face, the biggest conflict we face is with God. We are at war with God and in our hearts, our consciences, we know this. Now we know this from what the Bible shows us because in the book of Genesis, chapter 3 tells us the same thing. Our conflict with God brought about a conflict within us. Notice verse 8 in Genesis chapter 3. It says that Adam and Eve hid themselves from God because they knew what they had done. Shame and guilt suddenly now are filling their hearts and their minds and they're running from God. See, before we sinned, before mankind sinned, we, we've never experienced those feelings. I mean, just for a moment, let me ask you this. Have you ever had a moment when you never felt guilty? I feel guilty every moment of my day. I wish I was a better dad. I wish I loved my wife more. I wish I was a better pastor. I wish I read my Bible more. I wish I prayed more. I wish I shared the gospel more. I mean, you can go on and on and on about the level of guilt that you feel constantly. It's weighing on you all the time. And when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, they immediately knew. Notice there's no time gap here. They sinned, they immediately run. They did everything they could to cover it up, and they tried to hide from God because the conflict within us as humans comes from our conflict with God. Our struggle with guilt and shame is a battle because we are in a battle with God, and we know it. But our conflict with God and our conflict within are not the only conflicts we see in the early parts of Genesis. As the page turns to Genesis 4, we're immediately introduced to Adam and Eve's family. Right? So this is the time of the year everybody sends out family portraits. You know, we get them in the mail. They're really cool. We put them up on our refrigerator. We ooh and all over the cute babies and the cool kids and all this stuff. And parents, how cool it is. Everybody's happy. You know, imagine this first family portrait. Cain rising up, killing his brother Abel. That would not be something you'd put on the front of a homeschool magazine. In the dark chapter of Genesis 4, we're introduced to family conflict. Throughout Scripture, we read family conflicts in virtually every biblical hero. Abraham's family, we're going to study that starting in January again, had conflicts. King David's family had conflict. Family and relational conflicts are in the world... Because of our sin against God. Because we are in conflict with God. See, 
Every conflict you're going to notice begins with the fact we as humans are at war against God. What's crazy is, this isn't how God intended us to live. God has a completely different plan for how we're to live. And you're going to notice something. Amid the darkness of Genesis 3 and 4, there's this rising hope that shows up in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. This coming champion who would crush Satan's head. Right in the middle of all this, you get this, this issue. See, revealing to us that God... No, knowing our conflict with him, knowing the conflict inside each of us, and knowing our conflict with one another, provides a solution for us. A champion, a savior, who would come to crush our enemy and help us deal with this conflict everywhere that we turn. Conflict with God, conflict within, conflict with others. And in Genesis 3 and 4, here's what you notice right off the bat. You see, staying with the motif of peace, we see our need for peace. We don't have it. We can't attain it. It's going to require an an action outside of us to come and help us. In Genesis 3 and 4, we begin to see God's answer for the peace we long for, which is a champion. Right? One to come. Okay? Now, that gets us then into Isaiah chapter 9. Now, in this chapter, if you were here last week, if you weren't, I'll review it a little bit. We saw there's an an international conflict. There's a global conflict. Assyria, the world's foremost power, is on Israel's doorstep, and there is darkness and gloom all over the nation of Israel awaiting for Assyria to just pounce. Isaiah has told him about it. This is coming. You're going to be wiped out. There will be doom and gloom. It will be horrible. And then he writes Isaiah chapter 9. And you remember from last week that in that moment of darkness, awaiting Assyria to bring this conflict is when Isaiah declared verse 6. Now again, notice, darkness, and right in the middle of darkness, there's this verse that just shoots out like a laser. Like, notice what he says, verse 6. For to us a child is born, a son is given. Assyria on the doorstep. Israel, they're coming. But to us, a child is born, a son is given. Now the reason Israel was in the mess they were in was because of their conflict with God. Israel had been warned time and time and time again that if they gave themselves to idol worship, if they if they forgot the God of their youth and the God of their prosperity, God would send a nation to eradicate them from that land. And Assyria, in this moment, is God's hand of discipline. And we're going to see later, you see later, Babylon is the same way. And the root cause was what? Conflict with God. Vertical. Which brought about horizontal. This is something we must be mindful of as we look at this idea of peace. The root reason for our conflicts, the lack of lasting peace in our lives, is because primarily we are in conflict with God. And that conflict, listen carefully, is the foundation for all other conflicts, global and domestic, internal and external. It's like when, I think it was World War II was beginning to start, and the London Times put out a question. Who's the greatest threat to our world? And G.K. Chesterton just simply wrote two words back. I am. See, if you don't see your part in global dimensions, and the fact that your vertical conflict with God is affecting horizontal conflicts everywhere, you will completely miss your need for peace. (laughs) And you'll completely miss your part to play in helping to bring lasting peace. See, our need for peace is not because our kids are loud and a little bit disruptive. Well, sorry, if you think that, you're missing the boat. 
Our need for peace is not because our job is too challenging or we're not appreciated enough. If people just tell me how great I am, I'd really be at peace with myself. Really feel good about me? No, because if that would happen, you know what you'd want? You'd want more. Our conflicts are not because we need more people to vote a certain way. If I just voted the same, we'd all get along. No, we wouldn't. Are you watching the debates? Don't. I just did a warning. Don't. Okay? <clears throat> right? And it's not because of the different colors of our skin. Our need for peace is because we are in conflict with God. Our conflict with God is the reason for family fights, national wars, and internal conflict with guilt and shame. When you understand that, then you will help your kids learn how to be peacemakers differently. You won't be shocked by the wars and rumors of wars in your world. You're not going to be immediately assuming that all this stuff just means the end time's coming. No, 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 no. This is revealing to you sin is in the world. You won't be shocked at the wickedness of sinners. It's what they do. It's what they do. And what does it reveal? We're in conflict with God. Every conflict in the history of the universe comes from a primary root cause. Conflict with God. It's not popular to say the root issue is our sin. We need peace because our conflict with God stirs chaos everywhere. I mean, just go look at James chapter 4. This isn't on the screen. This is free of charge, so you can take this with you. James chapter 4 just says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? You want something and you don't get it. So what do you do? You murder for it. (laughs) So we've seen a glimpse of the solution. Let's dig into the solution a little further. You'll notice, don't you, something funny. The answer to mankind in Genesis 3 is the same as God's answer when Assyria is knocking on the doorstep to Israel. It's the same. In Genesis 3, it's a champion who will come and crush Satan's head. In Isaiah 9, it's a child being born, a son who is given. So let's look at the second point, which is the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9 6 and 7 is perhaps the most famous Bible prophecy in the Bible, which is talking about what's called the Old Testament hope of Israel. This coming king. In the Jewish mind, this would happen for them. He would establish and restore Israel to their greatest place. For them. It's probably the most quoted Bible verse in the Christmas season. And last week we looked at the characteristics that are listed here, right? These characteristics reveal the type of government that he's going to lead. And this type of government will reflect his characteristics, right? He's he's the wonderful counselor, meaning that his government is supernaturally wise. Thank God for that. We've got enough... Stupidity in our governments, right? I mean, thank God for that. It's a strong, powerful government because he's the mighty God. Meaning nothing can overwhelm him. He's not going to resign because he's threatened. Thank God for that. It's an eternally compassionate government because he is the everlasting, look at this, father. And the idea, the the motif, the picture there is of a caring, delicate father who cares for his children. And verse 7 says it's an expansive, unlimited government, meaning there's no end to his rule. Justice and righteousness hold sway. There There are no pockets of rebellion when all is said and done in the king's kingdom. See, this is no ordinary child. This is... This is the God-man. He is divinely endowed with supernatural authority and power and wisdom. See? That's who he is. Now, for our study this morning, I want to just focus in a little more on that that one phrase, the Prince of Peace. Everybody see that? The Prince of Peace. You're going to notice something. It's the only title of royalty given in the text. 
And you're going to notice something else. Notice verse 7. It says, of the increase of his government and of peace. It didn't say, and of power, and of wisdom. No. And of peace. There will be no end. See, the title of royalty implies that the, the domain of this child's kingdom, there will be peace. It means that his people, inside of his kingdom, will be at peace with one another. They'll have peace in their friendships. And if they're other nations, they would be at peace with other nations. And But most importantly, it implies the people inside of his kingdom are at peace with God. Where the son's kingdom goes, peace follows. As his kingdom advances, peace comes along with it. It's, it's just, it, it's a byproduct. It, it's just a byproduct of what happens. This peace-filled kingdom, ruled by the Prince of Peace, will never end. Where his kingdom rules and reigns in the hearts of people, lasting peace reigns as well. And listen, and those who are citizens in his kingdom of peace are at peace with their king. Now, Matthew Henry, who maybe is probably one of those honest commentators in the history of the world. I mean, you read Matthew Henry, he'll just periodically say, I don't know what this means. But he he knew what this meant. And here's what he wrote. He is the prince of peace. As a king, he preserves the peace, commands peace, nay, He creates peace in his kingdom. He is our peace. And it is his peace that both keeps the hearts of his people and rules in them. It shall be a peaceable government, agreeable to his character as the prince of peace. He shall rule by love, shall rule in men's hearts, so that wherever his government is, there shall be peace. And as his government increases, the peace Shall increase. The Prince of Peace rules over the eternal kingdom of peace. And his eternal kingdom of peace will know no end and will always increase. Now this tells us something about God's solution, doesn't it? It tells us something about God's solution for our need of lasting peace is this. It is a, it is a champion. It's a savior. A son. A king. And it shows us something amazing about God. And don't miss this about your God. It shows you your God cares for you. I mean, you should be stunned that in the darkest chapters of the Bible, Genesis 3, Isaiah 9, what do you see? You see a God say to you, do not fear, a champion's coming. Don't you worry. A son will be born. See, God knows we need peace. And listen, friend, He made a way for peace through the Prince of Peace. One who can rule and reign over your turbulent heart right now. Right now that king can do that. And you know what's amazing about this? When you read Isaiah 9, it says that the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You know what that means? It means God's burning passion for his own glory and for the good of his people, which he has had from everlasting past and he will have till everlasting future, will ensure that everything we need for peace is brought to us. Do, do you see how caring your God is to you? I mean, God could have just said, forget it. These people are wackos. Let's leave them in chaos and just touched the world and spun it around and walked off. But that's not what your God did, friends. No, your God said, there's a champion coming. I'm sending him. There's a king, a child to be born. See, you're, Christian, you, you don't have to wonder anymore if your God sees you, if he knows you, if he hears your cries for help. You don't have to wonder if your God will help you. No, no, he has provided for you a prince of peace. But here's something else about this that tells us something fascinating. God also knows our world. 
This is such good news for me. Because God sees the wars. He sees the conflicts. And God sees the relational divides. And God has provided a champion, a son, a king, to help. See, here's what you need to do. And this is a caution for those of us right now. Listen clearly. You need to stop falling into the trap of believing that God doesn't have a plan when you read your newsfeed. You need to stop falling into the trap that says somehow God is surprised by all the wars going on in the Middle East. Friends, there have been wars in the Middle East since the beginning of time. you got to stop trying to put all pieces together and figure out where is this going to eventually land and say this, your God told you put your hand on the plow, set your face straight ahead and don't look back. Believing something about your God, he has a plan, he has a purpose, and it's wrapped up, listen, it's wrapped up in the champion. It's wrapped up in the sun. It's wrapped up in the kingdom of peace. Listen, listen clearly, not the kingdom of Israel. And I say that very delicately. Too many Christians today are getting wrapped up and pulled off task because we're going to see the wars reveal something to us. But they may not be revealing what you think they're revealing. God has a plan. It's wrapped up in His Son and His ever-expanding government. And that peace that he has brought with it, is to go with this government. Now that leaves us with questions. And I can feel it. You're already going, okay, where is he going to go with this? You know, right? Okay, so let's figure this out. Three questions we want to address. How does this son deal with our conflict with God? And if we believe in Jesus and his death for us, hang on, I might... And, and he, he we believe in Jesus, he's come. Why do we continually give in to worry and fear? And lastly, why are there conflicts still in our families, in our friendships, and in the nations? Why is that stuff happening? So let's just look at three types of peace as we finish. So the first question, how does the Son deal with our conflict with God? Got to start here. You cannot start with Israel. You got to start here. Everybody got that? Okay. Got to start here. We know from history that this child in Isaiah chapter 9 is Jesus. We know from Genesis 3.15, the champion is Jesus. But how does Jesus bring peace with God? How does he do that? Unlike our first father, Adam, Jesus perfectly obeyed God as a man. On every point of obedience. And he was perfectly faithful to God, unlike any of us in the room. We never will and we won't. We haven't. And our champion has come to live perfectly in our place. And he died on a cruel cross to suffer the death that we deserved. Our sin brought death to us. The wages of sin is death. But Jesus Christ, this, this perfect Son of God, the spotless Lamb of God, took our death and died in our place as if he were the sinner. And when he rose from the dead, that was a moment when God said, I approve of everything he did in his life and his death. It's successful, it's righteous, it's accomplished everything I wanted done. That's why Paul would write in Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now pay close attention. When we believe in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was for us, personally. We are made right with God. Jesus went to the cross as if he were the sinner. When we believe in Christ, God treats us as if we're the perfect one. That should just stun you. 
And we are given peace with God. Meaning, we're no longer enemies of God. His wrath is no longer aimed at us. We are His beloved children given a seat at His table and given grace upon grace upon grace. So if you believe in Jesus, here's what this means. You do not have to worry if your peace with God will stop. Christ is your peace before God. Christ delivered you from the enemy kingdom and brought you into the enemy, into the kingdom of the Prince of Peace. God has made a way for your greatest conflict to be addressed, and it's through Jesus Christ. There's no other way. That's why Jesus says He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. So if you're a child of God, here's what this means. The war with God is over. And I I hear the wrestling match. Okay, what about if I sin against God while I'm a Christian? The war's still over, friend. The difference is, as a non-Christian, you're dealing with God in the courtroom. As a child of God who sinned against God, you're dealing with God as a family member. It's a big difference. The peace doesn't get broken. Between you and God. God doesn't look upon you with a slanted eye and think to you, I don't want this one anymore. God is not impatient with you. He's not frustrated with you. No, God is saying to you, come to me. Just come and confess your sin to me. And I am faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And he can only be just to forgive you of your sin if Jesus has fully taken all of your sin to the cross. See, that's... So what that means is, as a child of God, you are sitting here... Not in this wrestling match anymore. Am I at peace with God? No, if you're a child of God who believes that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection has been appropriated for you, you can rest in this one wonderful truth. You are at peace with God. You are more forgiven than you could ever dream. You are more loved than you could possibly imagine. That means, though, if you're not a believer in Jesus, listen clearly. You're still at war with God. And you may be sitting here at church thinking to yourself, if I come to church, this will remedy that problem. No, what will remedy that problem is this. You putting your trust and confidence in the fact that Jesus lived for you, died for you, and rose again for you. See, the challenge is you know it. You know you're at war with God. You know why you know it? Because tonight you're going to go home, lay your head down on your pillow, and this wrestling match is going to go on your soul. Where, how do I stand with God? What about God? What about the stuff I heard today at church? Your conscience is going to nag at you. <clears throat> and just like Adam and Eve before you, there's no hiding from it. You may think you're doing a good job of covering it. You're not. God sees, God knows, and God has provided a champion, a savior. So you don't have to have this anymore. You can, you can trust God. You can trust Christ and be at peace with God. You can do that right now. But if you're not a Christian and you leave here not a Christian, you're not a, you're not at peace with God. You're at war with God. See, Jesus is our peace with God. That's the only way we can be at peace with God. Let's take the second question though. If we believe in Jesus as a Christian, Why do we struggle with fear and worry all the time? I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I bet 80% of us in the room struggle with this. The the phrase we like to use in American culture is, we're stressed. It makes it sound so sophisticated, like in working and hardworking, you know. But in reality, stress is wrongly responding to pressure. That's all it is. It's fear. It's worry. It's anxiety. Why does this happen? Well, for that we can see in Philippians 4 something fascinating. Look at that passage with me and you'll notice something. This is the passage for Christians. We're told to be anxious for nothing. And you'll notice something that Paul is assuming here. Because we're at peace with God through Jesus, the peace of God guards our hearts and our minds. Now just process for a minute. Listen, listen, this clearly. 
Because, Christian, you're at peace with God, your God is near to you. Jesus was forsaken. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that the promise of God, I will never leave you nor forsake you, can be true for you. Your God is near to you. So here's what happens. Anxieties and fears overtake us when we forget God's nearness. Here's a question. Why do we forget God's nearness? We forget God's nearness because we forget that Jesus has brought God near. Listen, your prayer life doesn't bring God near. Your worship life doesn't bring God near. No, 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 no. What brings God near to you that he will never leave you nor forsake you is this fact. Jesus lived in your place, died in your place, rose again from the dead, ascended to heaven, and sent the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of you so that God might say, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That makes coming to church something amazing. That we, as spirit-filled Christians, redeemed by the blood of Christ are simply stating, God is near, so let's worship Him. See? Not, I hope our worship will bring God near. See? Big difference. And the reason anxieties and fears overtake us is we forget God is near because we forget that Jesus brought God near, and we think there's something we got to do to bring God near. No, 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 no. Jesus already did that. So when we remember that God is near... Look what happens. This is fascinating. We pray and thank God. We pray about our situation. And notice what God says. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. You know what that means? It means it passes and goes beyond all human philosophy, all brain waves. AI could not think of this. It goes beyond all understanding because it is something that is inhabited in the Trinity in the relationship with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There's a peace that is in this remarkable relationship that God says to you, Christian, is now a tool that God gives to you to protect your heart and your mind from anxiety. That is phenomenal news. And outside of Christ, you do not have that tool at your disposal. So just just right now for a moment, listen. Here's what you need to do if you're a child of God. You just need to take a moment and just thank God for his nearness to you. But thank him for his nearness to you because of what Jesus has done. Notice what Paul says, will guard your hearts and minds In Christ Jesus, the assumption is you are in Christ, therefore the peace of God will guard you if you're in Christ. Wow, that is phenomenal. That just means, listen, he's near to you right now as you're worried about your kids. Some of you, Christmas season is brutal because your adult kids have gone off and you don't see them. And it breaks my heart knowing. But it breaks God's heart more. And your God sees. He sees that. And your God is near to you because of Christ. It means he, he's near you with your financial struggles, wondering where is this all going? God sees. And he's near because of Christ. He He's near to you as you're fearful about the future, wondering... Will God provide for me in my old age like he has in my young age? How will that work? Remember, worry and fear grow in the hearts of Christians who forget the nearness of God through Christ. So what about the chaos in this world? What about this war in Israel? What about all the relational battles? I mean, my goodness sake, I bet if I were to ask some of you, are you having conflict at your job? But 75% of you say, yeah, absolutely. Holy cow. The dude in the cubicle next to me won't shut his jibs. I don't know how to stop. I mean, you know, this kid in my classroom is a maniac. What do I do with this? These parents are nagging me about my kid, about their kids playing time on the basketball floor. Please stop. What about this? 
Where is it happening? Why? I mean, if, if the great hymn that we're going to sing later, I think we are, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Peace on Earth and Mercy Mild is something we sing, why does there seem to be no such thing? So in answering this question, I want you to keep this thought in mind. Okay, Just write this down. Where the kingdom of Christ rules and reigns in the hearts of people, there is peace. Where the kingdom of Christ rules and reigns in the hearts of people, there is peace. Where it doesn't, you will find conflict. Now by rule and reign, here's what I mean. I mean believing in, hoping in, and submitting to. I'm not talking about the universal reign of God over all things. And people go, look, God rules over all things, therefore it should be peace everywhere. No, 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 no. I'm talking about specifically where he rules and reigns in the hearts of people by believing in him, hoping in him, and submitting to him. There is peace. And where there's not, you will find conflict. And I'm going to be honest with you. You're going to find this to be true in your own heart. As I was reading about Isaiah 9, I got to thinking about the pockets of chaos in my heart. And just ask the Lord, like, God, would you let the kingdom of Christ and his peace advance over that? You find this to be true in your home, right? I remember coming home one night and watching two of my kids. As I walked in the door, they were like five and three, and they were in the middle of what looked like a gang fight. I mean, the dude's on the ground, the gal's got her fist straight back, and the dude's grabbing her hair and screaming, and I'm like, demon possession has entered our home, and the crypts and the bloods are at work. I mean, what is going on here? And you will find this to be true. You'll also find it all over the globe. All over the globe. Where the kingdom of Christ rules and reigns in the hearts of people, there's peace. Where it doesn't, there's conflict. This means, so hear me, this means conflicts and wars in the world reveal something to me and you as Christians. You know what it reveals? There's work to be done. This is what I'm concerned about right now in this whole international world. It's one of the many things. We have stopped and put our eyes square on Israel, and we're wondering about what's happening in the end and all these things, and there is chaos going around all around us, and none of us are bringing the gospel to that. Because we don't have our hands on the plow, looking straight ahead, sowing and watering as God has told us to, faithfully and regularly in our homes, our neighborhoods, our schools, our workplaces, and instead we think, wow, what's going on over there? Look at that. And I believe we are violating what something that Jesus told us very clearly we are to be doing. As citizens of the kingdom of peace, with the God of peace near to us, guess what we are to do? We are to represent the Prince of Peace in a world of conflict, by being peacemakers. Now you know this from Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the sons of God. Meaning, you know that somebody's a child of God by how they're working for peace. And I don't mean, you know, the pageantry, what's your hope, world peace. I don't mean that. Okay, I mean something deep and lasting. And you also notice Paul talked about this in 2 Corinthians 5 when he said that we've been given a ministry of reconciliation, which means there's two warring parties and we're bringing them together. Friends, listen. The only answer to the global conflicts around the world, only answer to the global conflict is this, that every nation, every tribe, every tongue would come underneath the rule and reign of King Jesus. Lasting peace with one another is not found in having the same political stance or having somebody in the Oval Office that we all agree upon. Lasting peace with one another is made possible by each of us becoming at peace with God through Jesus and then us as God's peacemakers taking this gospel all over this globe to give people the hope of Christ to become disciples of Christ. 
And come on into this kingdom of peace with us and let's go make peace through the gospel. See, the answer to divisions in your homes or the nations is the same. Lasting peace can only come from the eternal Prince of Peace. And divisions and conflicts reveal we have not yet arrived. What the newspaper says to me, honestly, when I read it, is grief and sadness over what I see. And then secondly, I go, there's all work to be done. When I go to Cebu City, Philippines, and I stand on the ninth floor of this hotel that they put us in, and I look down upon the millions of people, I say to myself, not all have come underneath the rule and reign of King Jesus. And they need a gospel church in this town. They need a they need men and women who will represent Christ really well in this city. They need to hear the glorious work of the gospel. They need to be freed from the church of the Santa Nino. From that cult that's hanging over them. They worship a statue. A baby Jesus. They need to see that baby Jesus is alive. Seated at the right hand of God. Who's come and made intercession for them and died for them. See? Not all have come underneath his peaceful rule and reign. That's why you see the conflicts in your world. Again, you're not shocked by it. You just go, oh, this reveals there's something that needs to be done here. So since that's true, what are we to do? We play our part by being peacemakers. By helping people see their need to be reconciled to God and helping people see their need to be to be at peace with one another. Now here's what we have to do in this though. You gotta make sure the target's clear. I'll be honest with you. American Christians, most of us right now, many of us, have the target as something political. But nations are not transformed by voting blocks. Look, you go to a communist country, they're all voting the same way. If they get a chance to vote, they all got to kind of submit to it. If we think it's true that it's done by a voting block, everybody agreeing on their votes, then we'll make sure everybody gets on our side. And we'll fight for it. We'll Facebook post it. We'll social media blast. If we think that, if we think that everybody in our family finally is in unity together because we all agree on every little subject, then we'll just make sure that's true, that all of our arguments are foolproof and we'll demand submission when they're not submitted. Listen, friends, nations are transformed. Families are healed by the power of the Prince of Peace. Go read the story of Romania and how that communist country fell through Christians singing the praises of God in the midst of a communist nation. They became convinced that Jesus was the king. See, since this is true... Then here's what happens. We will do everything in our power to help others see their need for Christ and we will joyfully serve them by being gracious, forgiving, loving, and kind. I just, just for a moment, just go out, research your last year's, last three years worth of social media post and ask, does it fit into the kingdom of peace? Your interaction with somebody who didn't agree with you, does it fit? In the kingdom of peace. See, here's the point. Where Christ's kingdom rules and reigns in people's hearts, there is peace with God and peace with others. Therefore, Christians, conflict in your world just shows you there's more gospel work to be done. And if you're so focused on one part of the globe, you're going to miss those little kitties right in front of you. You're going to miss the students that need to hear the gospel. You're going to miss a neighbor that needs to understand the hope of Christ. So as we close, I just want you to think about a few things here. First, listen, are you at peace with God? I mean, if you're here, you don't know Jesus. I just want to challenge you. Don't leave here without being right with, Christ, with, with, being right with God. Put By putting your trust in Jesus. Somebody in the room, grab them before you go. The friend that brought you, just say to him, dude, how do I become right with God? And Christian, listen, if you're wrestling with anxiety and worry, <clears throat> can I just drop some things in your mind? 
Are you remembering the hope of your calling? Are you remembering the work of Jesus on your behalf? Are you remembering that He has sealed every concern you have about your relationship with God? And that your God is near you right now, and your God knows your anxieties, your fears, all those things. And He says to you, cast all your cares upon me because I care for you. Your emotional and internal chaos can stop today. It can stop. Let me ask you another one. Are you bothered by the conflict in the world? I am. I mean, it drives me crazy. I, I, I don't know where to even begin sometimes with things. But here's what that does to us. It shows us that there are disciples that need to be made. That the gospel needs to go out. And where God put you in your work, your neighborhood, your school, your family... God put you there as a minister of Christ to represent the Prince of Peace and His everlasting kingdom right where you are. So here's the question. Are you sharing the gospel with other people as the only hope to be at peace with God? Or is your stuff filled with a political stance and frustration about where this is all going Instead of asking a big question, does your king have a plan? He sure does. Is your king wrapped up in a a champion? It sure is. How about you fall in love with a champion, you get in love with his work of the kingdom, and he puts your hand to the plow and you get to work. And you do that the way he has called you to do it. As a peacemaker. Christian, your savior has come. Now listen, he has ascended to the right hand of God and he rules over all things. And my hope is tonight, when you go home and you lay your head down on your pillow, as Charles Spurgeon would say, you can lay your head down on your on the pillow of God's good sovereignty over your life without any worry <clears throat> or conflict because Jesus has come to bring you peace with God. Let's pray. For a moment, I want you to examine your heart before God. If you're not a Christian, this is a great time for you just to turn to Christ. Tell Jesus that you believe in him, that he died on the cross for your sin. You believe that, that he rose again from the dead. Tell Jesus that you submit to him. Christian, are you battling with anxiety and fear? Your God is near. Turn to Him. If you have found yourself stirring conflict, or you found yourself fighting with others, or constantly in using abrasive language, and you think your anger is righteous, can I just call you to repent? Father, there is so much uncertainty in this world that it it causes us to to wonder if you're near. I thank you this morning that the truth of the gospel that was that was revealed to us 2000 years ago is the objective moment that says our God is near. And so, Father, this morning, we cast our anxieties upon you. So, church, where you're at this morning, would you just cast your anxieties upon God? could be your family. could be your your bills. It could be your health. It could be your future. And we thank you, God, that you care for us. 
as evidenced by Jesus coming. Thank you that a champion has come. A son has been given. And thank you that the increase of this government that rests upon his shoulders will never end, but neither will its peace. And as the gospel of peace goes out, you move forward this promise. And you do it through us, your people. So Father, forgive us for our anger where it is unrighteous. Forgive us where we have been impatient. Forgive us where we've had our heads in the clouds and we have not put our hands to the plow. Forgive us where we've not sown the gospel, where we've not watered the gospel. Forgive us where we've not taken advantage of the moments and the situations and the places you placed us in. And instead, Lord, we've been worried. We've actually played a part in the conflicts around us. Forgive us. And help us to play our part. And for our non-Christian friends here this morning, Lord, I pray that you would convict them so deeply of their sin that they would repent and turn to you. If that's you this morning, please don't leave here without talking with one of us. Lord, we turn our attention and gaze to you, the Prince of Peace, the champion who has come, the child, the son who was born. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.